It's Friday the 13th. I don't know if that means anything to you, but we're the board game mechanics. I'm Joel, and with me as always is... Hey guys, it's Jason. Hope you're having a scary 13th. <laughs> Play creepy games tonight, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Something. So, uh, we got a lot to talk about this episode, and I think once we get through the top of the show, where it's always awkward, we do pretty well. So <laughs> That's true. Anyway. That is true. Well, let's just rip the band-aid off and get right to news. All right, so we found out um, an interesting piece of news this week that we are going to be getting a copy of the new Philip DuBerry game, Wisdom of Solomon. So that's pretty exciting. We'll get a prototype version of that, do some reviewing, talk about it on the podcast. We love PDB and all things PDB, so we'll see how that goes. I'm willing to let this review drop to you, Jason, uh, because you're, you know... You're the hardcore original fans, fan of the uh, PDB. <laughs> just, uh, just, uh, I'll, I'll even it out by getting that sweet mana forge love too when that happens. So, <laughs> right, right, right. And we'll call it even. We won't have to fight each other. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> so yeah, we'll get um, a review of that up sometime. I don't even know when we're going to get it. Uh, just we just got notified a couple of days ago, so we'll see. A couple of weeks probably. It, that I don't know anything about it. I just know that it exists. Um, is he, do you know anything about it yet, Jason? Is he going to kickstart that or what's that going to look like? Yeah, I think it's going to Kickstarter in the middle of May. That's what the email said, I believe. And it essentially looks like a jazzed up version of Kingdom of Solomon. So, which is cool because I already know how to play that. So, shouldn't be too difficult to learn this one. Uh, I've had a couple chances to buy Kingdom of Solomon on kind of a good sale and I've passed and I know you own it and you kind of like it. Uh, but this is making me kind of want to hold off and maybe wait until this Kickstarter comes out. So we should have a cool review up though fairly soon, I would hope. Yeah. Well, yeah. As soon as we get it, we'll, somebody will do a review on it. So we'll see. Um, all right. The next piece that we have is we're finally going to be doing the review for Goblin Grapple. I've been putting it off for a while and Katie's finally going to help me do it. So we'll be getting that up probably within the next week. Take all your bravery to do that because it's, Doing videos is no fun <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> right. I don't care about that as much. It's just, I don't know. Like, I just don't want it. I want it to be perfect. And I just don't want to, yeah. like, put out a subpar product. And so I'm trying to figure out the best way to do that. So we'll see. But that'll be coming and that'll be exciting. We'll tell you what we think of that game. The key to making good YouTube videos, Jason, in my opinion, I've made over 100 probably now, is you have to make bad YouTube videos <laughs> to make good YouTube videos. So, I mean, yeah, that, you just get better all the time. I can see that. Um, but for sure, I definitely, if you look at some of the first videos I ever did, they just sound terrible. They look terrible. <laughs> they're, they're not good. Yeah, I'm hoping that with tech, well, technology is better now. So, hopefully they'll at least, even if they're terrible, at least they'll look okay. <laughs> right. My first YouTube videos were recorded in the 1940s. <laughs> And I mean, they were barely making talkie movies back then. So I mean, it's right, not yeah. very good. <laughs> yeah, not it's not that much better, but it is better. <laughs> All right. Um, earlier this week, we dropped an interview with the designer of the primary, which is a game we talked about before. It's on Kickstarter, trying to get some funding. Now it's a cool interview. He talks a little bit about the game, how he came up with it, why he picked the po- political theme. So you can go check that out. It, it's posted on our podcast channel. So you can listen to that if you want to and maybe throw some support behind that game. Yeah, and that one kind of snuck out there. 
Um, I think it was supposed to be embedded in this episode, but because we want to make Matt quack yes. and Mountaintop Games very happy, we uh, wanted to get that out while there was still some time for you guys to go out and back it. So if you're hearing this right now, though, I think if you're listening to it on Friday the 13th or around there, you might have like a day to go quickly back this game if it sounds interesting to you. So heads up. Yeah, it's a cool game. So yeah, go check it out. And the next piece of information is next episode, we will have an interview with Jamie Stegmeyer, which is pretty exciting. Ah, uh, cool. Yeah. Very cool. And I think we'll actually both be able to be in that one. So that'll be interesting. That is pretty exciting. Uh, Jamie's a really awesome diplomat for board games. If you've never listened to him talk about his designs or about designs in general, it'll be a real treat for you. And uh, if you haven't listened to that, maybe go out and find some of his stuff that he's done on YouTube uh, or different places. He's he's really, really good at conveying ideas that are important to board gaming. So excited to have him on for sure. Yeah, I agree. And we honestly, I, I think this might be the first time you and I have ever gotten together to play games where we didn't play at least one of his games. And that's not because we didn't want to. It's just we ran out of time. <laughs> right. That is true. Yeah. That's, a, that's interesting. Now, the other thing, too, is when my granddad was making YouTube videos back in the 1920s, <laughs> they didn't even have talkie. Like, they had organ music play over the top of it. So you had to provide your own organ at home and, like, play the soundtrack. And it would <laughs> pop up with, like, the little, like, screen that would say, the game is good. And then it would, like, show, like, a man, like, pointing his finger and, like, waving at the screen saying, like, thumbs up. The game is good because it wasn't a talkie. It was before then. See, so that's awesome. That's really how we should do some board game reviews. That would be sweet. That's that's how my granddad did. He's like American Carom. The game is good, and then and then like he was like Monopoly, not so good. I already have foresight to know this game's not very good. So he was able to see way into the future. He was like my my money is on Chinese checkers, even though that name will get less and less politically correct over time. Yeah, and the game is terrible. <laughs> yeah, it is. offensive name, terrible game. That's double trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. The zany banter leaked into the news episode, news part this time. So, yeah, it's always leaking in somewhere. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thanks for the news, Jason. I am so disconnected from the world of news right now. Uh, in other news, uh, all the teachers in Indiana are getting ready for I-Step. So that's the news in my world right now. So we have standardized testing that we have to do. And so I've been swamped with that this week uh, and some other stuff for getting ready for next school year. So I am completely out of the loop on, on board game stuff right now. So I take I, – I believe you, Jason, whatever you say. You could have told me there's a there's a Boy, Boy Meets World board game coming out on Kickstarter that has awesome miniatures of Cory and Topanga, and I would have believed you. So Dude, I don't know. That, that, would, that probably is, honestly. Yeah, I don't know. True. That would be awesome. <laughs> It's uh, like a dungeon crawl. <laughs> you have to you have to beat uh what's the principal neighbor's name? It's not Mr. Belding, that's the no, uh Mr. Mr. I don't know. I have no idea. Somebody out there knows. And it's gonna be what it, okay, so this is like a secret code phrase riddle. You have to know the principal slash neighbors it's it's Mr. McFeely or something like that. I don't remember. I think it's Mr. Anyway. Mr. Finney. <laughs> is that what it is? I don't I don't know. That sounds right. <laughs> the hashtag is Mr. Finney real. That's uh there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Oh, so we got together, Jason, and we played some games because that's what we like to do. Um so we got together and we played games, so what we played this week 
segment is going to have a lot of overlap. So I guess we'll talk about the same things and how we enjoyed them. Uh, but the first game we played was uh, Vinos, uh, which we played incredibly wrong. We played like a 2016-2010 hybrid. Yes, yeah, it was a, a little wrong, yes. Yeah, but I enjoyed the way we played even. Um, it was it was perfectly fine. Um, I don't know. What did you think of it? This is your first time playing this one, and I know that you've got a copy of your own coming. What did you feel about this game? Um, I liked it, but I, I needed another play of it. I would have liked to gone into another play probably right away since I knew how to play it. Then I could have actually made more worthwhile decisions. Because I felt like I was just kind of flying by the seat of my pants. That's crazy. Because at the end of the game, I was like, I really want to play this again, but I didn't want to say anything. I was embarrassed to to, to admit it. Oh, I love Vino. That's not that's not entirely true, but <laughs> yeah, maybe four players was a little much. I'd probably only yeah tap that out at three, maybe. It's a good game. Um, it has more similarities to it to Viticulture than I remember. Um, I remember like when I got Viticulture. Well, I had Viticulture, I guess, and I had played Venus before I had played Viticulture. And I, I, I got Venus because I thought, oh, this is a different game than Viticulture. It's a lot heavier version of, like, winemaking, and it's more about distribution and selling the wine. Uh, whereas, like, Viticulture is more about making the wine. And while that is probably still true, it's not as true as I want it to be. Like, the games have a fair amount of overlap. Uh, not to say that they're not both good games or they're not both worth owning, but... I don't know. The Venn diagram's a little more overlapped than I remember. Yeah, but I would never bust this game out with some people who have only played, like, Ticket to Ride or Lords of Waterdeep or something. I wouldn't say, hey, you played Lords of Waterdeep. Let's jump into some Vino's 2010. You know, I would <laughs> never do that. But <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely fair. Uh, and I don't know. Viticulture has more luck in it, too, that you get some luck in those cards, and there's more card play. Yeah, so there's true. a lot of differences. Uh, but certainly Viticulture, Venus, man, I, if you had to ask me which one I like better, it'd be really hard for me to give you an answer right now. I would probably say Venus, even after the one play. Yeah? Yeah. Cause, it's definitely the crunchier game. Well, yeah, once I went back and... Because we didn't use the bank at all. And I was like, man, there's nine spaces on this board. And for us not to use one of them seems crazy. So yeah, yeah once I actually looked into the bank a little more, that whole piece is amazing. Like, it adds so much strategy to the game about how you're spending your money and the loans that you can take out. is oh, It's just amazing. Yeah, I, I didn't ever feel like I needed to take a loan out. So, I mean, like, that's the other part that was a little weird. I remember money being really tight the first time I played 2010, and I had to take a loan, and it punished me the rest of the game. And so I was trying to be pretty conservative with my money up front, but I don't think anybody ended up taking out a loan. So... I don't know. Pretty weird. Well, yeah, that's because whenever we were getting money, we were just taking cash, and it's supposed to go into the bank. So, <laughs> but even then, if you went to the bank, you'd have that money there to take right, out, right, you know? Right, right, so, right. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It's just weird. So that's that. The other thing we kind of screwed up is instead of giving us the point values for the different categories, we just took like an extra point at the wine fair, right? For the experts, um, which kind of impacted the game, but kind of not a ton. Like maybe a course of like five wine points, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, uh, hard to say. So, I I think if I were going to play that game, so here's where I'm at with it. I think Jason is my final comment on Vinos is that if I am going to play that game, I'm going to play 2010 from now on because that's the heavier, bigger, thicker game. And if I'm going to play a lighter version of that game, I'll just play Viticulture. Um, yeah, that's agree. probably where I'm at. So I, I agree. 
I don't know. And I think if I would have known about the 2010 version that you have, I might not have spent the like a lot of bucks to get Vinos, the one I have. Although I can't complain. It's a beautiful big box, and it's pretty cool. I mean, yours looks amazing. I really like the artwork. I just really like the graphic design of the old one, just because it feels more more. – I'm used to it. It feels like something I've played before, and I like that. Sure. The, the symbology on the older version is a little more clear, I think. Yeah, yeah. Do you uh, – okay, so this is going to be like – I don't think this is quite here yet, but do you see this game ever – uh, replacing Gallerist as your favorite Lacerda game? I don't think so. Gallerist has way crunchier decisions. I like the Gallerist a lot. I mean, it's my number one game right now. So the only thing I could see maybe ever overtaking the Gallerist would be Kanban. Huh. I I don't... Man, the Gallerist to me doesn't seem like it's even as heavy as Vinos, but like, I don't know. I just... Gallerist doesn't seem as heavy as I think that you feel it is to me. I think that you have to have some foresight on how your artists are going to move and things, but I don't know. Like, I feel like there's more tightness in Vinos than there is in Gallerist, but I don't know. Maybe you have to have more future planning and more foresight. Choose your actions maybe a little more carefully in Gallerist. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's what I, where I'm at with it. I think you have to plan better in Gallerist and Vinos. You can kind of fly by the seat of your pants and just see what happens at the wine fair. Someone just punched their... Um, iPhone, because they're like, how dare you say that about Vinos? But I don't know. <laughs> it's. I think Vinos is probably. I don't know. Do you? Th- what do you think his most popular game is? Vidal Lacerda's most popular game is it Gallerist? Uh, Gallerist and Vinos are probably really close. I don't know. Lisboa is pretty hot right now too. Yeah, I'd be curious which one has the most ratings. Almost to the point where I would be willing to look that up on my clicky keyboard on uh, Board Game Geek, <laughs> but uh, I won't do that. I think the Gallerist is in the top one hundred. I thought maybe it's Vinos. One of the two is in the top 100. Yeah. Uh, so, so that was Vinos was what we first started playing. And that took a long time too. Like, I don't think I've ever played a game that took that long of Vinos. Uh, we played for like two hours, I think, or a little over maybe. Yeah. So, uh, anyway. Uh, then we moved on to Bargain Quest. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. And that's one that, um, the most noteworthy thing on that game is that my brother and I invented a stupid mechanic for it. So if you guys want to use our homebrew um, home rule, it's really fun. So the boards fold in half that are your shops. And between your turns, you close the boards <laughs> and then you open the boards because your not, shop is opening. It's not that fun. <laughs> it's really not. Oh, it's such a fun mechan- mechanism. It's, <laughs> it's board folding. It's a new mechanic. So yeah, pretty awesome. I know you didn't love that game, but as far as drafting games go... That is one that I'd probably rather play than some other ones. I didn't hate it. I just, I don't know. It just has like, it has a lot of, I don't want to say luck, but it has a lot of like. Well, yeah, it's luck. I mean, you're drawing cards. It is luck. You're top decking. So, I mean, it's luck. If you pick the same colors or draft the same colors as somebody else, then you're just kind of screwed. Right. Or if somebody just gets one more heart than you to go first in like initiative order, you're just kind of, it's bad. But. That all said, I didn't mind it. It's certainly something I would play again. I would give it a six. I'm not going to own it, but I'd play your copy. Like happily play your copy, probably. So my brother, my brother really liked it. He was playing it with us too. He, I That's think he true. thought it was one of the better games we played all weekend. So, bargain quest. It was a little too Ameritrash, mostly for me, but I really do like that that game kind of. Yeah, it's it's not bad. 
So what we got to next after Bargain Quest was we played, uh, again, this probably wasn't an awesome decision. Well, I'm trying to think here. We Yeah, we did play it three players. Yeah. So I was thinking we played four-player Great Western Trail. We played a three-player game of Great Western Trail. And um, I don't know. I think I hyped it up quite a bit. So that kind of made it hard for you to like really enjoy it. Right. But I I love that game. That's my favorite uh, feaster game now. I've decided I like it better than Mombasa. Um, I know you're not quite there with it, but that's just a great game. Jason, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, looking back on it, I like it, and I would gladly play it again. I mean, it's a game I would gladly play over and over and over, but I just feel like the decisions are... There's one thing I need to do. I need to get horses. I, or cows. I need to get different kinds of cows and sell different kinds of cows to complete goals. Where in Mombasa, you know, you can you can invest in different col- the four different colors. You can do all one color. You can do multiple colors. You can not invest at all and just try to let other people do it and then ride the coattails. I don't know. I just feel like there are more scoring opportunities in Mombasa. That's definitely true. I think the thing that I really that blows my mind on them. I like how smooth Great Western Trail plays. That's my thing. I, and I like card games a lot. Like I like card play inside of a game. Right. But I think the thing about GWT, that's what all the cool kids call it, um, <laughs> and Mombasa that makes them both really awesome is that they're from the same designer. But if you didn't tell someone that the same designer made those games, I don't think they would ever get that. And the other thing too is I don't feel like those games are really like anything else. I mean, that, that Mombasa mechanism of moving your cards up into three piles. Yeah. I don't see that. And then moving across, like doing almost a not quite roll and move, but just like move a certain number of spaces to a new location that maybe you built and placed out there and then using like worker placement almost then to make a deck building kind of mechanism. And then having like a rail system, all that together and how, like, I just love how they integrate together so smoothly, but that's just unlike any other game that I've ever played either. So, I mean, that's, that's why if we redid our top three designers right now, Feaster might make my, uh, number one spot. Just his games are all so different. Broom service is completely different than everything else too. I mean, so, although that one's totally ripped off of Witch's Brew, but, um, but he like the additions he made to it just made it really awesome. So I don't know, like that really makes me respect him as a designer like crazy. So yeah, I agree. I actually think I like Broom Service better than Great Western Trail. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I really Rough. like bro- I really like Broom Service. Do you? Yeah, I really do. No one ever wants to play it because other people don't seem to like it. But I really like that little game. Yeah, I do too. And like the mechanics on it are really cool. The like following and leading kind of thing. Yeah, that's yeah. in other places, but. And like the other thing too is like I'm I'm not ashamed to say this that game's adorable. Like, really I don't get is. why it doesn't get adorable points from people. You know I mean yeah. so and I'm definitely with you on that. Vincent Dutrait artwork. I mean that's amazing. I Vincent Dutrait makes some awesome artwork and then he makes some artwork that I'm like oh wow what's going on with that? <laughs> and I'm and I by that I mean New York 1901. Oh, I don't yeah. know. I know people love that artwork, but it looks pretty weird to me. Like yeah. the front box cover. Yeah, I can see that. Anyway. Another hot take for you guys. Someday, someday people are actually going to listen to this podcast and I'm going to be like the most hated personality in all board gaming (laughs) because I say stuff like that. You're railing on every game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, a little bit. So, uh, real quick, uh, addendum here. I did punch in a search on Board Game Geek. Gallery's to Right is this highest ranked game and it has the most ratings. It's a little tricky though because Venus has two editions that they have separately listed. Right. So if you add both those together and take their ratings, there's more of them. 
Um, and I'm not sure if they would have a higher rating or not, but um, his highest individually rated game is Venus 2016. So, I mean, like, I don't know. Pretty weird. And then Kanban actually beats Lisboa in CO2. So, I mean, I know Kanban, I think, probably was a bigger game overseas than it was in the States. Right. But I know two people who own Kanban, and that's you and me. So, I mean, <laughs> I've never seen that game anywhere else. I've never seen it in a physical board game store. I've never heard anybody talk about it. I've never seen anything about it except for that you and I own copies. And, man, it is like – I'm going to tell you, I'm really disappointed we didn't get to play it because you actually spent the time to figure that game out. Yeah. And I know it's going to be like an hour of brain burning setup, direction, learning stuff whenever I try and figure it out for myself. But that game looks pretty awesome. Yeah, I would if you would have played it, I would have played it with you, but I didn't I didn't feel up to teaching people who don't play those kind of games that game cuz that game yeah. is a beast and I yeah, I, I don't know, I wasn't feeling it. Yeah, I mean, uh, we we rag on my buddy Jed who makes it the BGM cons. So like, this is where <laughs> this is where people are going to be like, "Are you kidding me?" Like BGM con always has like a couple of key people there. Um, one of them is Jed, and we talk about him sometimes that he's a little bit analysis paralysis prone. <laughs> but the other thing too is when you're explaining directions, like he's generally like playing with the components, making like. <laughs> A, a like circus or something. I don't yes, know. He and, is. And not really paying attention. And then <laughs> like, he doesn't even like board games that much. So there's definitely fans of the show. They're like, Oh man, I'd love to like bro down with those guys and play some board games. <laughs> and like, that's an opportunity I wish I had. I live out here in like rural Missouri and I don't like get a board game except for like twice a year at cons. And, <laughs> and like we have these board game weekends that are awesome. And like, we begrudgingly get people to play with us. It's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, your dad played with us too. I'm sure we'll talk about that later, though. But yeah, <laughs> uh, he he loves games. It's just he has a hard time grasping them sometimes. Yeah, but at, at any rate, um, going back to uh, to Kanban, yeah, I don't think it would have been fun to teach Jed that game. So. We did split though after Great Western Trail, and this is where I went Ameritrashy, and Jason was like, "I'm out." No, thank you. <laughs> yep. Uh, but I played Elbert Horror with Katie, who just happens to be your wife, and Matt, my brother, and they usually kill each other and like are really mean to each other and stuff. And I thought, you know what, we had a good team building exercise with that. That <laughs> we tried to, you know, fight and beat Cthulhu <laughs> together as a team, and they didn't, they didn't like, you know, make each other cry, which was good. So. <laughs> For the first time, Cthulhu's the new uh, the new relationship counselor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, enemy of my enemy is my friend, kind of thing. I guess I don't know. Yeah. Now that game actually, I I had not played it yet. I had only played Arkham Horror, and Arkham Horror was a really cool experience. But even already, that game feels big, clunky, and dated. And Eldritch Horror feels so much more streamlined and just smooth. So I would not play Arkham Horror again, probably knowing that the Eldritch Horror kind of system exists because it takes, I mean, like if there's the way how I would put it, I think I did this on a post is if, if art, uh, if Arkham Horror has a hundred units of fun in it, Eldritch Horror has like 99 of those, but it has 60% of the playtime and 60% of the fiddliness that Arkham Horror has. So I think Eldritch is just the game that I enjoy better and like better. So we got a chance to get a play of that in. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if I think it's better than Mansions of Madness. I really don't think that, or if it's better than the Arkham Horror Living Card Game. But Eldritch Horror was a lot of fun. Um, and we lost by like basically one turn. So that was kind of a bummer. But do you guys played 
I don't remember what you guys played. We played at Trichir- the other table. Trickerian, which was almost as big a, of a mistake as Kanban, but we played it anyway. Yeah. And I think that we missed out on your game of Rialto by like five minutes. Yeah, I think because so too. it felt like you guys had just started when we were done. <laughs> yeah, but Tricarion looked really awesome. I had never seen that board before in real life, and that board is really awesome looking. So, yeah, so I am way more interested in playing that now. Yeah. So basically, I made them play on the advanced side, but I stripped off a couple of the advanced pieces because I didn't want to explain those. Jason so, edition. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, so we use like a mixture of the beginner side, which is on the other side of the board, and the advanced, and I stripped off a couple of the mo- – I turned them into modules. They're not really modules, but I made them my own modules and took them away. And we probably knocked that game out in about, I don't know, seven rounds in about an hour, including teaching, maybe an hour and a half. So that wasn't too yeah, bad. Yeah, you went through it pretty quick. I mean, it's just worker placement, so there's not, you know, put your worker out, do what it says, pull your worker back. The hardest part was explaining how to perform the magic trick, which is always – the beast on that game. It's kind of cool. Everyone has their own little like book of magic or whatever they have uh, access to in that game. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, it's like a player aid, and it shows all the cards that you can learn tricks from, and it shows in-game scoring. It shows how the round goes. It's just like an eight-page player aid, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I, I like the uh, – going back to Venus, I like the little player aids you get in that too. Right. I think more games should do that, give you like a – Decent little rule summary thing, but I think that's pretty cool. Uh, Tricurion's one you don't hear a whole lot about, really. I mean, I know it's pretty high in the rankings, but I've never seen a period of time where it was all over social media as being just this hyped, awesome game. Um, I wasn't paying as close attention. Like, I was kind of in a board gaming lull when it came out, but I don't, man, I don't think it ever was really just like the hotness, was it? I don't know. Like, uh, I, I saw some stuff on Facebook before I bought it and, me and Katie were out on our anniversary, like our 10 year anniversary, and we went to a board game store and we picked it up and came back to our room and played it. <laughs> but that's romantic, man. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. But yeah, I, it looks cool. It was a, I knew it was a heavy, crunchy game and I was, I'm into that. So, but actually this last weekend, I've seen so many people post about that game, probably five, six, seven posts that I've commented on. It was out of stock most places for a while, too. So I think it's back in a lot of places, but I know it was a little hard to find for a little while there. Yeah, that could be. I think it was a Kickstarter, too, so that always doesn't help. The art looks like an old like uh, vaudeville-era shows art like poster work, which is a really cool art style, too. Yeah. I, if you Have, have you watched the movie uh, The Prestige? No, I haven't. Um, I've heard good things. It's about the, like... Magic stuff, though, right? Yeah, this board game, it seems like it came out at the exact same time that movie came out. Because there's a lot of, it's in the same time period. You're like rival magicians trying to take over for another music- magician. It, yeah, it's it's like they saw that movie and like, man, I have a good idea for a board game. And then they, they made the board game based on but the they movie. They couldn't afford the license or the license wasn't <laughs> worth having. Right, right, right. So then you guys did, like I said, me- yeah, I mentioned you played Rialto. We um, did. I watched you guys play this game most of the time. I don't know, man. I think it's a little dry for my taste. Um, I would play it at some point to at least experience it, but I don't know. It just seemed like uh, I think Jed loved it. I think Jed thought it was a really cool game. Yeah, he did like um, it. And I think you seemed to like it fairly well, too, but I don't know. It just was pretty abstract for me. Yeah, it it really is an abstract game. Essentially, it's... Well, you're playing cards only, 
and you're using the cards to get money to buy buildings and to get some area control on a board. But the way you get cards is by you put face up rows of six cards and each player drafts one of those groups of cards. And then you take two face down cards. So no, everyone's not sure exactly what everyone else has. So you're trying to like get in people's heads while you're playing. It's like a Stefan Feld, like mind game game. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's strange. It's like, uh, he played Spyfall and he's like, here's how this game really should play. <laughs> and he came up with Rialto. It's a fun game though. I think you would actually enjoy it. I, it there's not a ton of decisions, but it, I mean, it takes like 40 minutes. It's super fast too. So that's nice. The only thing I don't understand about it, like I, as you guys were playing it, I was like, why are they, why did they, like, whose decision was it to put those tiny little ticket to ride size cards in there? Like, yeah, that seems like such a ruining thing. I mean, well, I'd spend four bucks more every time to get full size cards in a box like that. And I mean, like, I guess if you're making a display in front of you of cards, it saves space on the table. But this, that size card is just so much more difficult to handle and look at. And I don't know. It, and I know you guys were making like, like lines of cards and it probably would have been hard to fit them on the table at times, maybe with bigger yeah. size cards. But yeah. that was the only thing that I thought was like, wow, what's up with that? I don't know. He uses those cards, that same size cards in a couple other games too. Like La Isla, they're in there. Um, yeah. yeah, I think they're in like the year of the dragon is those same kind of size cards. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he just likes them. Maybe that's what he prefers or something. See, like in a game that we need to put another game in the hall of fame at some point. And I know one that, um, some of the riveted would like to see be the next one in is Royals, which we don't talk about much on this show, but Royals is an awesome game. It's ticket to area control is what it is to me. And right. Yeah. 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 But it has full size, nice cards in it. And, I don't know. That just adds to that gameplay so much more. So I don't know. Whenever I'm playing that game, I'm thinking, man, this is so nice that it actually has these good full size cards in here that you're drawing from and holding on to. Yeah. So that's an example of where the bigger cards just made me happier. And I don't know why that one popped out in my mind. Probably because I do compare it a little bit to Ticket to Ride in my brain. And Ticket to Ride has those rage inducing tiny cards. <laughs> where when I, I'm to the point with that game, whenever I suggest it to people who are like brand new to board gaming, I'll say, pick up Ticket to Ride. Europe. But just know that you're going to spend an extra 11 bucks on getting 1910. Or yeah, get Europe. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I understand why they make those cards. They fit in the box better. You, I, I, I understand it. But I don't understand it. No one wants to shuffle those little f- tiny rinky dink cards. <laughs> They're so hard the only, to shuffle. And yeah, the only time I get it is when there's a game that has maybe ten different decks of cards in it that you have to draw from different decks at different times. Yeah, I can see and that. And so I get it for that. And then if you're gonna like have uh, equipment cards or something in an Ameritrash game, right? Like that you aren't gonna reference and hold the whole time. They're just gonna lay down in front of you. It makes sense for that too. So like Eldritch Horror has those small size cards, but like you draw one of those cards, read it once, and then it sets in front of you the rest of the game. You don't handle <laughs> right, it and yeah. play it, you know? So that's true. Well, I mean, that's, that's probably a terrible takeaway from Rialto is that I was like, those cards are tiny, but it looked like there's a lot going on in it. There's like a area of like wooden chunks and then there was money in the cards and you guys were putting bridges down that scored differently. There was a lot going on in it. It seemed like, yeah, it it was fun. I enjoyed it. You had to build bridges. You had to build gondolas so you can bring your councilmen from where they were hanging out on the corner of the board to your board. Um, tried to put councilmen in certain areas. So you win the area majority. And every time you place a bridge, it changes the value of one of the areas. So you're trying to think, you know, I'm in the lead here. I need to make this one more valuable. And someone else is trying to make it less valuable because 
you're going to get all those points. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty fun. I think you need to play it once at least. All right, so this is my imitation of Jim Cramer doing my stock predictions on which stocks you should buy and sell. I'm going to say right now, Rialto, Bruges, and Luna, all three of those games are going to never be lower in price than they are today. Today being April 13th, 2018. Like I don't think until they get a reprint, if they get a reprint, Bruges is only going to go up, Rialto is only going to go up, and Luna is only going to go up. Because I think those are three Feld games that were good, but they weren't viewed as being amazing games at the time they came out. Right. To the point where they felt like they had to keep republishing them. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know that it's crazy to say, but I don't know that Bruges is ever going to get a reprint. I mean, that game's amazing, but yeah, I don't hear amazing. an outcry for people to reprint it, you know? It is crazy. Um, yeah. And Rialto, I know, is out of print right now, too. And it's a TMG game, if I remember right. Yeah. Which is, and so is Luna. Which, so those two. Those two games are kind of out of the norm for TMG. So I don't know. And TMG is a small enough company that I don't think they do a lot of reprinting. So some of their games like Belfort, you can't find that anymore. Good luck. I mean, Kings of Air and Steam, good luck. So um, I don't know. Those might be ones that if you can find them cheap at your like local game store. And heck, you might be able to find them like 50% off because they're kind of older and maybe people don't know about it in your area. Like They're worth picking up. I think Rialto, I, I would definitely play it. Um, I don't think it'd be the first thing I'd beg to play off the shelf, but it looked like it was rock solid like every other Feld game. Yeah, I, tr- I traded for it. I don't even remember what I traded for it, but it's something that I don't ever play. So but I didn't buy it because it costs way too much to buy, but a trade is okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm right on that, right? Like, it's way above MSRP to try and buy it right now, most places, right? Yeah, I think so. I think it was, I think BGG has it for like 40, maybe 45, which I mean, that's pretty close. I don't know. I haven't, yeah. I haven't looked it but up for a while. But for a used game even too, you know? I mean, yeah, true. So that's, uh, that's, that's one that, yeah, I, I really think that that's something you're going to have to try and find. And then like Luna, you can find that cheap right now. But I've looked at that enough to know it's a cool game and it's totally different than other Felds. And that's probably why it didn't sell very well. But so I'm trying to like suck up to Feld a little bit to like get back into his good graces. So he drops his restraining order against me and like will return my Facebook messages. But, I don't know if this is enough positive things to say about him yet or not. Do I need to say a few more things positive about Mr. Feld <laughs> in order to get there? Or? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I can just take a picture of my shelf of Feld, and we can keep posting that every day to maybe to make some amends with Mr. Feld. I and actually, I since we've talked about Feld, I own more Feld games than I did last time I talked about it. Um, I own I own La Isla now, so. Have you played that game yet? I haven't. And you know what? Like, as you were talking about it, I'm like, I'll bet they use those tiny cards. Yeah, it Because does. it has that weird cardboard yeah. folded up thing in there. That I have no idea what it does. I haven't even looked at the rules or anything on that yet. But I, bl- I blind bought that. No, I blind traded for it based entirely on your recommendation of it. It's actually a really, it's- it's a really good game. Don't expect, like, super heavy. But it's a good, a good game. A good and fun game. Yeah. That's what the, that's what I think I heard you say about it before. That's a nice little like filler plus maybe game from Feld. So yeah, I I'm looking forward to it. I'm hoping it's got an accessible enough theme too that some people who wouldn't normally play a Feld game would be like, oh, this has kind of got cute tropical birds on it. Let's play this. Right. Yeah. All right, and then we closed out playing. Well, this is sad because I think you and I wanted to play for another four hours probably, but we had to call it quits. Yeah. But we finished off with a game of Happy Pigs. Now, 
Jason's gonna Jason's <laughs> gonna be full of lies in this game. He's gonna say it's an average game. It's not that great. It's it's just fine. But I will challenge Jason's thinking on this immediately by saying, "What other game do you know that plays six players as well as that one did?" That's and it's not like a social deduction teams type thing. I seriously, yeah, like think about it. I played six people fairly well. Uh, yeah, I disagree that it was fairly well, but sure. Yeah, it did play six people. You're right. Yeah, dude, I love that game so much. It's really good. And I know you probably wasn't your cup of tea, but man, it's just a good game. No, I actually like it. I told Katie that I wouldn't mind picking that up and playing it because I thought it was a fun, cute little game that you don't have to think a ton about, really. Yeah. So, so it's got some decent decisions if you want to sell the pigs or buy more pigs or buy a different field or whatever, but you're not like breaking your your brain i'll be honest with you too i wouldn't play that one at six players unless i absolutely had to again like right. i would say all right we have six people here you three people go find something to play the three of us are <laughs> gonna go play happy pigs yeah I, agree. I mean like i just don't think six ever plays very well i really there's almost never a good reason to play over over four hardly ever i agree um, and like and looking back if there's a takeaway from bgm con three it's uh Play with smaller groups and play more games with just Jason. Because some of the best BGM con moments we've ever had are when you and I sat at one table while everyone else was playing something stupid at another table. <laughs> we burnt through like four games really fast playing, you know. Yeah. Mombasa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> while, while everyone else played a single round of Spyfall or something. I don't remember what it was. But like I think we played something fairly heavy while they played a middle gateway type game. Yeah. So – Anyway, but Happy Pigs is a cool game. I really do like it. It's just, I don't know. It It's hard to play any game with six, for sure. And then one of those six was my dad. And my dad actually was kind of almost half an expert on the game this time. <laughs> except for... <laughs> except for here's... The, okay, here's the two fun stories from Happy Pigs. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like... I don't remember what my dad did exactly. I think he bought on the last round. Yeah, he, like, bought, he bought pigs and then they died. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then, and then the other one was my other friend Jer was there and we were like trying to make him feel okay about it. Cause he doesn't like heavier games. He feels like intimidated by games that are tough. He doesn't want to look stupid. And right. so we basically said, Hey, listen, man, there's nothing you can do wrong in this game. Just pick one of the four things and it's <laughs> going to work out well for you. Well, we like, there's one exception to that whole rule. So at the very beginning, you get to spend your money and buy an initial stock of pigs and different vaccines and stuff that you use to make your pigs happy. And. Um, so there's no reason to buy in the first round because you just got done buying stuff. So <laughs> right. we all pick up first thing and, and Jer picks buy. And we're like, <laughs> dude, why did you? He's like, you told me there was nothing wrong I could pick. <laughs> except that. Yeah, except for buying in the first round. <laughs> so uh, anyway, you and what I saw you do in that game as masterfully as anyone I've ever seen is you did two fields as well as I've ever seen anybody balance having just two fields. That was that was pretty awesome. Literally, if I would have bought one less of the medium-sized pigs, I could have had another big pig, and I would have gotten that extra 25 bucks, and I think I could have beaten you. But because I bought too many little stupid pigs, <laughs> I didn't have any room for another big fat pig. So I couldn't get that bonus of having all the sizes, you know? So I've decided my pro strat. I'm going to, this is like, I, you guys, I know like some people listen to like Netrunner podcasts because they want to hear deck lists and hear like the pro strats. I think I might start a spinoff Happy Pigs podcast where all I do is talk about pro strats on Happy Pigs, but I'm going <laughs> to give you guys a little sneak peek on that. Next time I play this game, I'm just going to buy like two large size pigs, not the biggest size. 
and like four fields at the beginning. And every time I'm just going to mate them and just like buy vaccines and mate the pigs and like maybe feed them sometimes and just see what happens. And then never sell pigs the entire game. I don't know. It might be an interesting strategy to see if that works out. I only sold the pigs one time and it was three little tiny pigs. I never sold anything else ever. I sold one series of like a couple of larger pigs because I needed to buy a third field and some vaccines going into the end of like summer, I think. But other than that, I was like, I got to hang on to these pigs. Like that's a wasted action. You get a free sell action at the end of the game. So right, right. That's that was kind of what my strategy was the whole time. So that's called the Kratzer Smith strategy of not selling your pigs. It's the first <laughs> pro strat to come out on the uh, Happiest Pig podcast, a podcast inside of a podcast. So uh, that's that was that right there was the first episode of Happiest Pigs, <laughs> the uh, the podcast inside the podcast. Speaking of the Happiest Pigs, do you have the expansion to that? I don't, but I'm definitely going to be like picking that up at some point because it's so dirt cheap. It's like eight bucks for it. And I know my local shop, he ordered a copy for me. So that's why I haven't gone and like rage bought it somewhere else. Right. Um, because I feel bad that he would buy an expansion for a game he doesn't have the base game of anymore. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Sorry about that, bud. Um, but especially over like one or two dollars that he'll be right, more expensive yeah. than Amazon. So yeah. um, I'm definitely excited for him to get that in though. Cause it adds a bunch of different kinds of livestock and stuff. No, I liked that game. You didn't think I liked it, but I did like it. Sometimes I like the little filler lighter games, especially if they're fun. That was just a fun, Hey, I'm going to pick this action. Ah, uh, you pick the same action, you jerk. And then you do it. Yeah. Know. Yeah. But that's a game too, that that'll be one of the first, like official hobbyist type board games that you could probably play with your little girls, you know, I mean, that's, that's something that an eight year old probably could play and like, maybe not be awesome at it, but be okay at least. So yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's an easy game to pick up and just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, what, like the very definition of one of those games that if you tell people how the game works, like you have a grid and the pigs get bigger on the grid and the grid has to not run out of space and cards flip over and you share actions with people based on these blind things you kind of bid on. Like it doesn't sound that fun, but then when you actually play it, it actually is kind of cool how it all works out together. Right. Um, so, and the two player variation of it, I've never played, but there's a two player variant that you can play where like you play with like a ghost player almost. So like what happens, Jason, is you and I will be playing and like I would pick two tiles. I would pick the one that I want for myself and then I'll pick the ghost player's tile. And the whole point of me picking like the ghost player style is I'm trying to pick exactly the action that you want. And if I do that, then I have to give you those, that set of chips. And then you get to control the ghost player and try and block me. So like, it's kind of a cool mechanism. And it was by Bruno Cathala that came up with that variant too. So, um, that's probably the only reason why I got published. They put Bruno Cathala's name like on the like flitter of the board game thing. They're like, also Bruno Cathala, Cathala came up with like one little tiny rule for this game. Really? Is that for real? (laughs) Yeah, that's for real. Oh, okay. I thought you were just messing around. <laughs> no, that's for real. So, huh. I mean, like, he does design every one out of two board games that comes out. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like... That's, that's true, yeah. No, I... I uh, he actually did do that, so... Oh, that's cool. Well, I think we got to close with what games didn't we play that we wish we would have. We already said Kanban. I wish we would have gotten that in this weekend or last weekend. Agreed. That's the one that I'm really like, ah, oh, I can't believe we didn't get that one in. Um, I wanted to play Euphoria. That would have been good, too. That's that's a good game. Um, the other one that I wouldn't mind getting into, uh, because, you know, like, it met the theme of playing cute games that Jason, like, suffers through, would have been Bunny Kingdom, too. But honestly, that's a really good card drafting game, too, if you like card drafting. It's it's my go-to card drafting game. 
Yeah, I kind of wanted to make you play Rococo, too. Yeah. To see if you like that. If we would have been able to play till 5 a.m., which I was willing to do, we probably could have got all that done. But maybe I not agree. Kanban and all those. But <laughs> yeah, maybe not. After Kanban, like we'd had bloodshot eyes and like <laughs> been, been contemplating whether we should, you know, drink copious amounts of alcohol. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, that's about it. Um, so, Jason, you want to go over this last footnote? Because I've talked about it too much. You go ahead. We've got show notes here. Jason, why don't you go ahead and you can talk about the last note on these notes here this week because the people need to hear it from another adult voice. All right. So we're still trying to challenge um, the Brothers Murph and Dan and Matt and Dave to get on This Game is Broken. And I think it's time for them to quit being cowards and call us up. Get us on that show so we can take them on and show them who knows more about board games. I think it's time. They've been hiding behind their shadows, to or in the shadows for too long. Let's let's that's, get it done. That's right. I absolutely agree that we need to be on there. But listen, guys, I respect the heck out of you, um, brothers Murph. Mad props. Like I think you guys are awesome. And <laughs> they are. I get awesome, you learning yeah. a lot early on. But Jason talks mad trash about you guys behind your backs. Like when we're <laughs> off right. air. He talks about how he doesn't like your tank tops and beards and like all kinds of stuff. Like he just mad trash. So you should probably like shut him up by getting this on the show. So. You're right. I'm I'm the worst. I am the worst. You're right. That's so far from true. If you've heard any of other podcasts, Jason's like, dude, they're good guys. Like, and I'm like, whatever. They're they're scared. Is what they are. Oh, they I don't even know. I did reach out to them to try to get them on our show, The Brothers yeah. Murph. Yeah. They they said they were busy for a few months. They didn't have any free time, but they would be willing to come on and at least talk a little bit. So good. Maybe, maybe we can use that as an in. They they had better be making like I know he's an actor. Like he had better be making a killer Taco Bell commercial or something for him to be that busy. So if he's not <laughs> making a Taco Bell commercial, I am going to be really upset. Well, one of them is a painter too. Like there's one in, one's an actor and one's a painter. So. It's not like they're just making Taco Bell commercials. What what kind of painting does he do though? Is it like like paint actual the painting. walls or like, no, like paint the like like painting canvas, painting. painting on canvas and stuff? Yeah, yeah. So the stuff that's in the background hanging on the walls might be actually his art. Could be, yes, yes. That's pretty cool. If he wants to use me as his uh, muse, he can. I mean, like I'll definitely <laughs> let him paint me a so. portrait. He'll <laughs> have a portrait of Joel Kratzer <laughs> hey, hanging in their house. <laughs> That'd be awesome. L- listen, I mean, like, that deal is real. And, like, <laughs> if they don't do it, then it's going to be Rado that has my portrait hanging in his walls. So, I mean, <laughs> they want to be there first, probably. So With a strategically placed fig leaf. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe two fig leaves. I'm not going to brag a lot, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> oh, that's not right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We should record this sometime, like, not after my bedtime. <laughs> no, it's funnier after bedtime. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, I had a good time playing games. Um, I don't know if we were able to really convey the fun that we had. Um, and, like, you know what's funny? We were getting through most of the stuff, and it was, like, at th- the 30-minute point. I was like, wow, we're actually going to have a short show. And we're definitely cranking over 50 minutes now. So, <laughs> yeah. Every time. Every time. Yeah. Uh. Oh, well. Well, hey, I've been Joel. And I'm Jason. And this was fun talking at you, I guess. Um, Talk back on Facebook. 
Uh, hashtag the riveted and the board game mechanics all together board game one word mechanics page we love to hear from you guys we keep getting more and more activity over there you guys are funny people too some of the funniest zaniest banter that we have is over on the on that page you guys have some really good things to say so really enjoy that so i think mike mike mccorney actually sent in a message to our uh, page he yeah. said he said he wanted the he didn't know where the bgm studios were but he wants to know if he was in Columbus, would he be reasonably close to one studio so he could potentially collect on that one minute of airtime? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Even if it's like Columbus, Missouri, I'll make it happen. <laughs> like, I don't care. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Corny, he's my, he's my dog. He got, dude, you just got another minute of airtime, man. Like, yeah, right you there, did. So. You did. <laughs> All right. He's my best friend I've never met. So he's my pretend imaginary friend. So like Mike, I need to get you some business cards made up that say Joel's imaginary friend. <laughs> he's an honorary member of the BGM. He is. Uh, so that's our our special phrase is that um, imaginary friends is going to be our, <laughs> our phrase. Uh. Yeah, I think Mike snuck in there. I, I had an early front runner for who I thought was going to be my imaginary best friend on the on the board game mechanics page, but they're just they're getting really quiet. So you know who you are. You need to start posting more stuff, man. So anyway, you probably yeah. don't know who you are because I don't know who you are either. But I'm just trying to <laughs> get other people into ta- like posting more. So <laughs> all right, Jason, thanks for all your work on this episode, and thanks for editing this. I yeah. guarantee whatever you just listened to is much better than what we originally recorded. <laughs> so. Uh, I'll do what I can. Again, this has been Joel for the second time saying see ya. <laughs> and I'm pleased to see you guys. Ah!